Oh, hey, didn't see you there. Welcome to Secondary Fermentation, episode number 54. 54, shut the door, Lauren Chambers. How you doing over there? Great, great. I'm having a beer today. You are? (laughs) Non-alcoholic beer. We'll get to that in a moment, but we also got Nikki D in the studio. What's up? And of course, this is Joe. Welcome. Welcome. Lauren, now you can get to your beer. What are you drinking over there? Um, we, uh... Pregnancy approved. Yeah, pregnancy approved. I have a non-alcoholic hazy AF, a New England style hazy from BrewDog. It says very aggressively, embrace the opaque on there. Yeah, it's also um, only 20 calories, 2.3 Gs of carbs. Ah. <laughs> um, yeah. Nice, very nice. BrewDog. Yes. Brew. I've dog. never had it before, so we'll we'll see how it tastes. I haven't really had much BrewDog, but you know they've just been in and out of hot water. Recently, the owners, I just feel like just Ooh. nonstop. Mm. But, uh, yeah. What are we drinking, Nick? We got a special beer. Yeah. Not really that special, but. Um, happy to finally try. Well, I guess it's not been out that long. Uh, we're talking a few months worth, but New Belgium Brewing Company released their kind of revamped Fat Tire Ale, which was to a lot of people's shock because Fat Tire Amber Ale was one of the first beers that New Belgium came out with, and they started in 1991. So. This beer is now 100% carbon neutral. It's the first craft beer that can say that in the U.S. So um, it's got a different look on the label. They still have the bicycle imagery on there, but um, they're really stressing that this is low impact on the environment. It's carbon neutral. And so that comes with a different recipe and it comes with a slightly different look. So mm-hmm. it's pretty good, though. It's just it's now gone from, the, you know, they've dropped sort of the amber ale style entirely to become more of just a uh just a light just ale a ale <laughs> yeah uh, and it's been a while since i had a regular fat tire but this one is just very bready on the nose like mm-hmm. first thing i noticed uh, i opened it up like white bread just like fresh white bread yeah. out of the package if you're about to make a pb and j sandwich that was just the memory i got hit with instantly uh pretty light drinker nothing too yeah. wild Really striking though. I mean, it's not something you really see done today, like with a major craft brewery like New Belgium of their their size and scope to change a decades old recipe. Uh, yeah, you know, obviously I mean, it came with some decision making, but um, definitely interesting. It kind of shook things up when it came out early this year. Kind of late last year, things started getting rolled out. But yeah, I mean, pretty decent still. But yeah, yeah, just like you said, odd to mess with a recipe that's as old as we are. <laughs> Seriously, no, the, the year we were born. <laughs> all yeah. of us were born this year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. 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 Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. Well, that kind of segues into our topic, which is kind of a, a different episode topic and episode outline than we've done before. But we were doing a little bit of uh, research for the last episode we did when we were talking about the... Uh, New Belgium acquisition of Constellation Brands uh, plant up in Virginia. But we, you know, we saw, hey, New Belgium's been around for a while. It's got a pretty storied history. So why don't we do a podcast episode on the history of New Belgium brewing? So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to get into the nitty gritty of the brewery, talk about its uh, when it was founded, some of its early years, the growth, the impact it's had on beer culture. And then we're going to try a few beers along the way. So we started out with Fat Tire. We thought it would be appropriate to start with that since it was one of the original uh, beers that the brewery produced. 
But yeah, very interesting. Uh, it's also, it's kind of fun too, because New Belgium's a pretty big complex over in Asheville, not too far from us. We've been there a couple mm-hmm. times and always enjoy visiting, especially when you can hear the employee perspective on uh, how they like to work for the brewery, all those things, get the really the full tour. Last time we were there, we got a very abridged version of the tour, but probably it was like COVID-style tour. The original one, though, that we went on was very nice because they talked through the whole oh, yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah, you get to run through... A lot of the projection facility too so um yeah i mean fat tire definitely has a place in my memory for like craft beer too i think when mm-hmm. i started drinking craft beer early um that was something in college i saw people drink that was kind of like what what trendy seniors in college drink <laughs> at least in iowa city it was like oh this guy's cool he's drinking fat tire <laughs> instead of bud light um because you know it was affordable but it was like it had a, a different uh, flavor profile. It was a little more, I guess, nuanced than just a light lager. So, mm-hmm. um, I have that memory of fat tire and, um, I never thought like I'd be in North Carolina and then I'm able to go to like the brewery there in Asheville. So yeah, um, a lot of, a lot of neat history in New Belgium. Um, yeah. So we've got the Asheville facility and, uh, it opened in 2016, but this is actually originally from Fort Collins, Colorado. So yeah, that's the, the first, stop in new belgium's history they uh were co-founded by kim jordan who is now currently the executive chair of the board of directors mm-hmm. and uh jeff former ceo yeah former ceo she kind of as we'll describe a little bit she really like initiated a lot of their values and mm-hmm. and uh was really responsible for i think the growth of it but uh jeff labesh <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna say that wrong but uh yeah so he was uh the head brewer he was really inspired by a trip to Belgium to, you know, uh, try his hand at making Belgian beers in the U.S. He was a home brewer, went on a bike tour, saw a bunch of different uh, Belgian breweries, tasted a lot of Belgian beers, and was like, this is good. And uh, yeah. so was really amazed, blown away by what he tasted, came back to the U.S. and was inspired to, you know, bring, that, bring a touch of Belgium there. So the new Belgium name that obviously is um important and then you know we talked about the bicycle imagery and the kind of symbolism there stems from uh his his bike trek uh his trek of i don't know how many stops he made in belgium but uh he was really inspired by that bike trip and then uh so he met kim jordan Mm -hmm. uh the two of them got together and uh she was a beer enthusiast liked drinking beer but uh didn't have any kind of like savvy behind like making the beer no Um, and she had an interesting i mean there's a great youtube video that talks about you know, it's kind of interviews her, you know, one side interview, she's talking about the brewery and everything. And then also about her past. I'm surprised she had a very like wide, uh, array of careers, you know, like yeah. oh my firefighter, gosh. EMS, um, academic bus driver, consultant <laughs> bus driver. Yeah. Not, not academic bus driver. but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, small animal trapper. And yeah like what a, yeah just very random things and she was like a beer drinker and then yep. she met jeff uh who had just come back from that trip i think it was in 1988 when he went on that bicycle trip and at that point he was a home brewer and they started experimenting and you know in that interview she said i never thought of being an entrepreneur or anything like that but yeah. uh, she surely did it and did it very successfully so pretty cool story from there but yeah, so like you said, home brewing, like many breweries and a lot of the big breweries of of the day, like you know, similar to Sierra Nevada, we got home brewers that are starting out making stuff at home, 
they say, hey, let's open a brewery. So they started in their basement in 1991. So over 30 years ago at this point. Uh, and they made a couple beers. So they had they brought a couple beers to the beer festival. Uh, and that was Fat Tire. And do you know what the other one was? It was a Abbey. It Abbey. was a Belgian double ale. Yeah. So right off the, right off the bat, they started with, uh, I think, a pretty approachable beer, like an amber ale would do well. And that current like craft beer climate. But yeah, the Belgian ale right out the gate. Um, one thing I saw interesting on, on New Belgium's website, they have a slideshow kind of of sorts of their history. And they mentioned that when they first started like entering their first two beers into competitions, there actually wasn't like a grading category for Belgian beers at the time. Yeah. They just were so rare. So they had like a specialty category and that's how they got evaluated. But, uh, you know, Abbey was a Belgian double and that really it was their first successful um, Belgian style, style beer. The first one they made when it was um, hugely popular. It won some awards in, uh, I think in 1993, after a couple of years of being out, they were able to win some uh, prestigious awards for it in the specialty category at the Great American Beer Festival. Yeah, major award for craft brewery. Even today, I mean, still huge to see all the GABF yeah. medals and everything. Um, but yeah. Pretty impressive, too, coming out of like the basement to, to have been brewed in somebody's home basement. Like, I can't imagine what that looked like. There's some pictures online of their old setup, um, but they are able to make like early success, which I think is pretty interesting because, especially with the style as niche as Belgians at the time, um, it was definitely a big gamble. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, so, as they, you know, brought the, the, company together and sort of doing they they sat down and had a vision so one of those careers that kim had was a social worker uh, and she took some of those values as a social worker into the company that was to be new belgium brewing and they, they uh talked about some of the core values that they had and they wanted to be a people-driven company uh in that interview that i mentioned previously they had some kind of core ideals that they wanted to promote within their their new brand one of those was to promote beer culture and the responsible enjoyment of beer. Uh, two was to be environmental stewards. They also wanted to have fun as their third value. Uh, and then finally produce world-class beers, which is something that they definitely did. Yeah. I wish that every job I've ever had, that was a core value, was to have a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think that just initially gives you a sense like these people wanted to build a really like positive work environment. Um, and like you mentioned with like doing tours, hearing from employees, that's still a, a very strong uh, value there. You can tell that people really enjoy the opportunity. People that have like tried and tried again to get a job there because I think it's a really sought after um, environment for people that, is, that enjoy beer too. I think it's a kind of a, an ideal job scenario if you can get it. Oh yeah, for sure. People with a variety of careers, too, as we toured there, like telling us things that they did. I think the last person that gave us a tour said that they were a pharmacy technician before uh, joining Mm -hmm. New Belgium. So pretty cool. Uh, But yeah, like you said, so they did make some world-class beers. And as we talked about, they they, uh, entered two beers in the Colorado uh, Brewers Festival, which was Fat Tire and Abbey, like we said. And then you said 1993. Uh, Abby won the GABF medal for that. So that really spurred the growth and solidified New Belgium as a brewery at that point. Uh, yeah, coming and, from basically nothing. 
Yeah. It was pretty much uh, just a huge expansion from that point. So, Yeah, and it was really accelerated. It sounds like you know they went from starting in 1991. Uh, a couple years later, they've got an award-winning Belgian beer. And then uh, 1995, they actually moved to their current location in Fort Collins. Um, they needed something bigger because they just were growing so fast. I think Kim talked about that in the interview that was posted on the New Belgium mm-hmm. video. Uh, it was like chaos. She said, just like the initial growth. And I think it was a, it was a good time for craft beer, especially for that style. Um, from what I was reading that, you know, Belgian styles really weren't, uh, popular at that time in the U S but breweries like new Belgium, Oma gang, uh, I think bells maybe, or there's another, uh, Michigan based brewery. I think that had a, such a big part in, sort of the boom of like Belgian beers being really popularized. Um, but yeah, so 1995, they're moving just down the road really in Fort Collins to their current facility, which of course has grown and had some, uh, some expansion at that point. But, um, so yeah, they're, they're growing there. They're able to now increase production. They're able to kind of expand into other areas besides, uh, you know, the Colorado area. Um, this kind of continued to accelerate and trend upwards all the way up into the early 2000s. Um, so at that point, they were able to now have increased production with more equipment, more space. Um, they were getting into different states. I think at this point, they were roughly around like 16 states they were distributing to, which is pretty good growth in like a nine to 10 year span. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, for sure. I mean, yeah. setting up distributors and everything in that time frame. To, to, I mean, because you're talking multiple states per year, most years, so pretty yeah. crazy. Yeah, and they, uh, you know, their, their portfolio was really expanding at that point, too. Um, one of the largest changes, I think, that really helped kind of take off uh, and get them to where they are now is bringing in some some giant oak photos to, to help with some different styles. Um, we've, we've talked about some, like, Flanders Reds and things like that. Um, the big oak photos are really instrumental for a lot of Belgian styles. And so they got a few in there. They're able to uh, kind of get into some sour ales, some different um, oak-aged dark ales, uh, which really broadened what they were capable of doing and kind of continued to push that boom of Belgian-style beers in the U.S. Um, So, yeah, they're at that point now, I think they've realized we've got a really good hold on the West Coast. They've been growing since they opened in '91. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it was around like 2013, 2014, they decided to lay the groundwork for a new brewery out east, which is where Asheville comes in. In 2016, they were able to open up that location. So, yeah, within a matter of 25 years, they had two huge brewing locations, oh, one yeah. in Fort Collins, one in Asheville. Um, well, too, I mean, that just helps your production capacity and your distribution ability. Because if you're shipping all the way from... West Coast, I guess, you know, West to West Coast, mm-hmm. you know, shipping all the way to the to the East Coast. You've got a lot of transit time that your beer is going through trucks and moving all this way. So you got to pay for all that. And then you got to keep it cold. You got to ensure product integrity. If you're trying to ship it up to, you know, Vermont or Maine or something all the way from there, it's oh, quite yeah. a journey. So if you have a production facility on the East Coast, you're really opening up your access points into your distribution network and being able to move a lot more product. Oh yeah. And you know, from doing the tours too, they kind of talk about 
the impetus behind choosing that location in Asheville. Um, I think geographically it made sense, but also uh, they took a lot of pride in, uh, you know, being able to replicate their beer over and over again. They had the same result. And so a little bit of chemistry involved there. And they found that the water that was accessible in Asheville, uh, right from the river there, they were able to, um, you know, use that as the best source of water for making their beer. Um, as similar yeah, as they could to the in Asheville. French broad. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, that was a you know big part of that. So I, I like to hear I liked when I learned that about them that they were very careful and meticulous about um, location, not just like trying to hit a trendy area. Of course, Asheville is a really trendy area for craft beer, but uh, when they came in in 2016, I mean it had already been pretty well established, and um, the location there now is like beautifully on the river, uh, easy access to water. They've expanded their I think production facility there. They've also expanded outside of the tap room to have a nice patio area. They've got now a, an outside deck that looks over the French Broad River. So, yeah, um, really great location. I, I'd like to go to Fort Collins at some point, but because mm-hmm. um, I've seen pictures online, and it looks, you know, every bit as good, if if not a little bit bigger than the one in Asheville. Yeah, and also I think the selection of the Asheville location too was a big part in their like environmental stewards you know, core principle, because they talk a lot. If you've, if you've ever been to Asheville and you've ever gone to the New Belgium facility there, they talk a lot about the work that went into making that land usable. Because I believe before it was an automotive, uh, I don't know if it was a junkyard or if it was like a yeah. repair shop, something with, that involved a lot of like car fluids and chemicals and other pollutants like seeping into the ground and basically making it unusable for a long time. So they put a, a large investment of, you know, money, time, you know, getting uh, consultants in to like figure out how do we make this land usable again mm-hmm. and really put a ton of effort into making it. So it was no longer just like this untouchable toxic area. So, yeah, I'm trying to remember, you know, that little Creek that runs um, under that bridge that goes from yeah. the patio. They mentioned like how they had to like really carve that out, mm-hmm. and um, there's something now to do with like the the water passing, the way it like passes over the the rocks and like flows into the French Broad. It like cleans it, yeah. Yeah, it's like a natural. So it's like they found little ways to uh, to like purify things to like have uh, renewable energy things like that, which we'll go into a little bit more. But um, yeah, you mentioned like and Asheville is a perfect spot for that because it's such a like progressive mm-hmm. area as far as being like green and uh eco-friendly just culturally progressive as well like very i think they get kind of a bad knock for being like kind of crunchy hippies (laughs) but yeah (laughs) but uh you know i I think definitely it's one of the more progressive parts of this eastern seaboard i guess so especially north carolina yeah for sure that's true um so yeah they're um they're really has seen a lot of like change, I think in their portfolio, we mentioned them starting off with, with fat tire, which they still make. And then the Abbey Belgian double ale, which no longer is actually around. I, I kind of found that surprising. I thought that it had been, I think one of the last times we went, they still had it available, but um, as of 2021, they were phasing that out. Um, so that's no longer in production, which is kind of sad, but they also still have a lot of their, like early original Belgian recipes available. 
And I think it also gave them a chance to kind of dive into new passion projects, find new uh, recipes to brew. They did keep Fat Tire. I think mm-hmm. that would be catastrophic if they just scrapped it entirely. I think even just the change has been kind of controversial. Oh, super controversial. Um, there's yeah. been a lot of polarizing thoughts on it, but uh, yeah, you know, they, uh, so they're known for basically Belgian style beers, of course, with the namesake. Um, but you know, they have a lot of good IPA styles. Now uh, you've probably have seen tons of different Voodoo Rangers. They've got the Voodoo Ranger lineup includes at this point, probably 10 plus oh, 10 gosh, to 12, yeah. if not more different uh, IPAs. Um, they've got some loggers. You might have seen Mountain Time Lager. Mm-hmm. I knew about, uh, if you're from North Carolina, Old Tuffy is a lager that they have a partnership with uh, NC State, but I didn't know they had the same kind of deal going on with Colorado State. Yeah. Uh, which makes sense because it's right there in Fort Collins. But uh, Old Aggie. Old Aggie. So old Tuffy. <laughs> old, old Aggie, Old Tuffy. <laughs> is Tuffy the name of the mascot? Or, or the wolf. I have no idea. I'm pretty sure it yeah, we're, is, we're not state fans. So. <laughs> yeah. Definitely not not part of the wolf pack. Yeah, so not just wolf hand thing. Uh, yeah, no. negative, negative. <laughs> Speaking of Belgian style beers, should we try oh. New Belgium's triple? Yes, good, nice segue there. <laughs> I'm just thirsty, you know. Yeah. Gotta crack a beer. Yeah, the uh, the new or I guess improved or revamped, whatever you want to call it, fat tire. It's uh, easy drinking. It's only like 5%. So, I mean, really approachable beer. Um, one notable thing about that process that I found was interesting was it wasn't done without kind of taking the general pulse of the public. And um, I think it was really intentional, not only for kind of moving towards that carbon neutral uh, designation that they're they're looking for, but also... What I read was that the uh, the the head brewer and uh, you know the board they had kind of done some surveys, did some research into you know what styles and what flavors and things were really uh, sought after by the younger demographic yeah. of craft beer drinkers, kind of that twenty one to twenty nine year old range, um, which really I think makes a lot of sense, and it was really impactful because. I mean, Fat Tire, when it started, I think that was... Progressive. And right. New. Yeah. And so now they're 30 years later, 30 plus years later, they're Remanding doing the same it. thing, yeah. but keeping the, you know, the namesake there. Um, but, you know, they really wanted to kind of find something that's approachable for their y- younger audience and consumers. So, um, but anyway, so we got Triple here yeah. next. LC took a sip. What were your thoughts? Not bad. That's it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's hard because you're drinking it out of a bottle. So, like, I like the whole experience of right, drinking it glass. in a glass. Hand me that glass. Well, I'm not going to take another sip. <laughs> well, no, for me. She's got <laughs> okay. her. Um, uh, but we are, it says on the bottle, suggest serving at 48 to 50 degrees, which I think it is right about in that range right now. Um, yeah. And LCM surprise, you said not bad. It's not my, it's usually not my style of beer. Yeah, Lauren does not like Belgian beers she doesn't like that it's not i just don't yeast character yeah it's mm-hmm. just something about the phenols and everything mm-hmm. that uh mm-hmm. she's just not a huge fan of i almost said thiols but that's a, <laughs> that's a different subject <laughs> speaking of which i yeah. had a beer yesterday that had phantasm powder and thialized yeast in it oh my gosh it was a little too much <laughs> that's yeah, a punch yeah. in the <laughs> face yeah. it was like 
almost like just like sweet like there yeah. was that much like juicy uh hop compoundy type flavors it was like ugh. juicy fruit in a glass almost oh yeah juicy fruit is like perfect for that because <laughs> juicy fruit was like potent but also like it would die really quickly <laughs> yes exactly um, yeah it didn't last very long yeah so this is really cool i like triple i think i've not had it for a while so obviously no, it's a belgian it triple either, so yeah. um interesting though uh the triple is spelled with an extra p i don't know if there's any significance Tripel, i think that's how they spell it no like that's the like the traditional belgian, belgian yeah t-i-r-p-p-e-l yeah so i mean they kind of have this labeling where it's like belgian collection right so that really ties in a few different traditional belgian styles that they still brew including this one the triple they've got uh i believe it's 1554 is another one that's really popular lawfully which is a an aged sour i mean we talked about the photos the oak photos for aging so they also have a, a pretty good like regular selection of sours like they have some creeks lambics um a lot of those are really fruit forward, yeah. but also get some aging in those fooders. And did so you they... mention fifteen fifty four? No, I just did. Yeah. Oh yes. But, uh, well, I was looking up. I was trying to. I was correcting myself yeah. here. I will. I will say this now. Tripel with the extra p is is unique to New Belgium. Mm. Uh, so looking at around the style is triple, like with one p mm-hmm. t i r p e l, but uh, New Belgium's is got two p's. Yeah. I don't know why. Maybe just to make it a little unique. Uh, but you were correct in that in that statement. I just was assuming. But. Yeah, no, it's. I mean, there could be some some reason behind it. But uh, yeah, the 1554 that one is interesting to me because I think that's their approach into the dark beer world, right? Yeah. But it's not. You know, as far as I know, they really haven't done a lot with stouts. Maybe some limited releases, but like stouts and porters, I haven't really seen in yeah, their lineup. Think... It's been no. Traditionally, the dark ales are kind of. Um, something like 1554, which it's still Belgian inspired. Yeah. It's just like a darker, a little more take yeast. on it. Yeah. Yeah. A little more yeast, a little more like dark fruit, little, well, I guess depending on the variant, cause that's kind of a seasonal release that so they do mm-hmm. a little bit of different, uh, stuff with every time. Yeah. And they, uh, like I said, you know, they've really tried to stay true to the Belgian beer roots. Um, obviously bringing in a lot of the kind of Belgian sours, uh, lambics, you know, you've got your triple, the double, which you know they no longer make, but they may bring back something similar. Yeah. Um, but also they've really done a good job, I think, of staying like current on like trends in craft beer. Um, even going as far now as to have like seltzers, and I've saw hard juices, which I think is a new thing. Hard um, juices. I didn't yeah. even see that one. Dang. Yeah, they've got this like new series. It's called Wild Nectar. Um, huh. so yeah, they're selling those fruit smashes, their seltzer series, and those are pretty solid, but I'm also not like a huge seltzer yeah. person. So I haven't tried all the flavors. Um, but yeah, they've done a really good job. I think of like keeping a diverse portfolio. They have a little bit of something for everything. Again, they maybe don't have as many things as like brown ales, porter stouts, but if they do have them, they're either probably like an aged or a soured mm-hmm. variety of that. So yeah, and I mean, massive portfolio changes in the past years, right? Starting as a as a Belgian-inspired brewery to have a whole entire sub-brand of uh, hazy IPAs is kind of a, a switch. And I think some of the changes in the portfolio, you know, don't 
necessarily match up with the vision of you know of Jeff in his original mm. homebrewing palette. And uh, there's an article, gosh, I think it was in the Colorado and I was going to say the Colorado and Times because there's a dude on TikTok who like pranks companies and oh, like yeah, oh, he, he says he's from the Colorado and Times, <laughs> but uh, the Colorado and did did an article with him in talking about the kind of straying away from Belgian inspired beers purely with the release of Ranger IPA in, in 2010, which was a year after Jeff left the company um, was, you know, he understood it. He wasn't maybe the biggest fan, but understood how you have to stay current and grow the company uh, as needed, but just that transition. So he, he was like, I, I didn't imagine we would make IPAs, but the time has come for it. Yeah. And then, now there's a whole lot of IPAs being made by New Belgium and definitely one of their best-selling series and one of the best-selling series is in all of craft beer right now. Yeah. Really just hammering away that that uh, Voodoo Ranger series. Yeah, I think it was beeradvocate.com. They had a list of like some of the top, maybe a top 10 list of like moving product and New Belgium has a hold on a few of those spots just through the Voodoo Ranger series alone. Um, they've got the, you know, this, a standard Voodoo Ranger IPA. They've got their Imperial IPA. They also have, you know, just kind of a rotating, uh, rotating selection that kind of comes in and out right now. I think juice force and fruit force are the two that are kind of trying to drive a little bit more into, uh, the market, but yeah. And even so, uh, juice force Voodoo Ranger juice force IPA won the innovation of the year, by Brewbound, that which was wow shocking, and I think a lot of people were, were kind of confused because they're like, a hazy IPA is an innovation of the year, um, but I think it just has to do with their sales because it was the number one craft beer launch of all time. Uh, That's insane. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. So, just funny. It's a you know, it's a full nine and a half percent ABV fruit punch IPA. <laughs> Yeah, and, and I had the Fruit Force. Uh, I I can't say that it was my favorite of the Voodoo Ranger lineup. I've not had it. To yet. quote Lauren Chambers, <laughs> <laughs> LC's not my favorite. Um, I do think that it was it was innovative, but I I just I think it might have missed the mark from my palate anyway. Um, yeah, it did taste very much like it could be a hard Hawaiian punch or something. Really, without being like that kind of chalky malt beverage aftertaste it is to me is not what i'm like looking for what's the flying dog beer that's in a clear bottle that's like red like hawaiian punch oh gosh uh <laughs> had that at old J- jack brown's one point uh flying dog i don't know the red beer but anyway that was like that yeah. was straight fruit punch so i can't imagine if the fruit force is anything like that or more like that yeah but the nice thing I, I, I enjoy about that series of the, the Voodoo Ranger series is that they, they stick around or they, they keep around a few of the iterations that I think do well. They also have like a rotator that you may miss it if you don't jump on it within the limited, you know, six to 12 months that it's available. Um, like notably, I think Hop Raider was one that came out in the last year from New Belgium. Uh which I really enjoyed, but I don't see that as like a an offering on their website for like what beers they have currently available. Hmm. Maybe it comes back seasonally. Yeah. Um, but like if you go to the store and you or like the grocery store and you're looking for Voodoo Ranger 
beer to go. Like they've got a variety pack and there's always like a changing lineup in those variety packs, including an experimental version. Like if you've ever looked at that, they're, they're on their like sixth, seventh or eighth iteration of like the experimental IPA, which those may actually end up being later releases. I'm not sure how that works. Cause like, you notice that there's so many new iterations of Meteor Ranger that maybe the experimentals become like a its own namesake later if they do well. I'm not sure. Yeah, and it's wild that they do that because it's it's just a, a testament to how Voodoo Ranger has become its own brand. Is that within the Voodoo Ranger lineup there are experimentals that are only available in certain mixed packs, yeah. and variety packs, like. How crazy. Like <laughs> you can only get this beer if you yeah. buy a variety pack of Voodoo Rangers to get this one Voodoo Ranger. Which is actually pretty brilliant for like marketing. Um because mm-hmm. if you're somebody that's like chasing to get every Voodoo Ranger check in possible, you're gonna buy that that pack every time it comes out with a new experimental brew. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, there's been uh a lot of changes in, in their portfolio that kind of you know, maybe coincided with um, some key departures like, you know, Jeff Labesh stepping away. Um, but also notably, we just talked about this on the last episode about the purchase of Constellation Brands. Yeah. that's That was a huge initiative, I think, to really expand the Voodoo Ranger lineup um, and the production of it. So I think we'll expect to see that sector continue to be an emphasis for them to uh, continue to grow it and maybe offer more iterations of it. I do like that it, you know, it is like its own brand, like you said. Um, like, I, when I see Voodoo Ranger, I have to, I have to like remind myself for a second that oh, this is a new Belgian product yeah. because it just seems like it's its own um, singular brand yeah. at this point. Well, I think it's a perfect example of breweries like coming up with a brand and like pushing that sub brand off their main product, which is not something you think a lot about with craft, but a lot of places do it and. I mean, none so obvious as, like, New Belgium's lineup. But, I mean, if we were talking about, as we talked about in our, like, acquisitions uh, episode the other day, where um, Anheuser-Busch bought out the brewery, and that, I can't remember the name of the brewery at this point, but uh, they bought them out, and then their beers are only going to live on as a sub-brand now, not have a physical location anymore. Oh, that place in Ohio. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, so it's just, you know, everybody kind of does it, and even craft beers do it. You know, we've got uh, this thing, or Sierra Nevada's got the hazy little thing, or the, right. you know, whatever little thing. So they try to get their niche market uh, with that individual product, but Voodoo Ranger's kind of exploded as its own separate brand. And I'm curious yeah. to see what sales of Voodoo Ranger compared to the rest of the new Belgium lineup put together are. So, Yeah, Um and I think I think as they move into this new facility in Virginia, uh, and they're able to kind of get things running with their production and distribution, we might see some changes there. I mean, obviously we've seen that they have a, a set of core values that they are really striving to maintain, despite there being changes in, uh, you know, who's who's CEO, mm-hmm. who's kind of running the show. Um, I think they've really put an emphasis on maintaining those. And so despite doing that, I think they still, like we said, have a, a desire to maintain like relevancy in the, the craft beer world. And so if there are market shifts or like changes in preferences, they're going to kind of 
test the waters and then adapt accordingly. And it seems like they've been obviously doing really well with the ability to expand and purchase new um, facilities to continue that growth. Yeah. Yeah. And as you've mentioned, the change in ownership, it's something we haven't talked about too much to this point. We talked about the growth of the company and, and how they've, you know, expanded, added a new brewery, now purchasing another production location. But throughout this time, there's been a decent change of hands with, with the company. I mean, nothing too crazy from that standpoint, but I mean, originally started co-founders, Jeff and Kim, and then basically making the transition where they wanted it to be more employee focused than employee owned. So Jeff stayed with the company till 2001 when he semi-retired and then stayed on as a consultant until 2009 when he fully left the company. Uh, Then Kim continued on as the CEO, but transitioned uh, to 100% employee owned. So she actually sold her shares to the employees uh, in 2012. So it became a 100% employee owned company, but that didn't last too terribly long. (laughs) So they always talked about, you know, they wanted the employees to be first and to have equity within the company. And they wanted to have an open, you know, accounting structure and open management structure, but also wanted the employees to have a stake in the game. So that's when they transferred some equity. But then making that leap to 100% employee owned, I think, is is a pretty big, pretty big thing. Yeah, and uh, that interview that Kim did, uh, that's posted on the New Belgium video, uh, she talked to somebody about their open book like philosophy that they wanted style. to have yeah. that available to the employees, and somebody said, "Yeah, that's great, but uh, that's kind of like <laughs> I think I'm paraphrasing, but it's like oh, letting people like smell what you're cooking, but not letting them eat it. Yeah, it's kind of like oh, you're helping us build us equity, but you don't get any of it. And yeah. So she and Jeff are like, we've got to do something different and and offer. Um, some of that equity to our employees. And so that was mm-hmm. a driving force there. And I mean, I think that's anytime a company is able to like have stock options for employees, I think that goes a long way to like retention of employees too. Yeah. And plus they, they changed their, I didn't change it, but like the way that they talk about the employees of the company that, you know, even in that interview, Kim is like our coworkers, everyone's a coworker. Uh, you know, they're, they're almost like partners within the, corporation that is new belgium at least it was until 2019 when the employees decided to sell their shares and sell their equity in the company uh to lion little world beverages an australian company that is part of kieran holdings so that happened in uh 2019 uh and kind of a crazy thing because it transitioned to 100 percent employee owned 2012 seven years later sold kind of to a a big like beer company. Kieran is not any small company, but I'm I'm curious the relationship between the Australian subsidiary and then like the main Kieran uh, focus, but just very interesting. You know, uh, in that time, you know, shortly after transition to 100% employee owned, uh, Kim left the company uh, as the CEO and then Steve Feshheimer became CEO in 2017. I don't know if I said that correctly, but, uh, but yeah, and he still remains the CEO today, correct? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I think Kim's role is, uh, she realized she needed to kind of step back. And, um, as far as we know, she's still serving as, uh, executive chair on the board of directors, but obviously she doesn't have as large of a role in the, the company's direction, which is nice to see that they're, they're still taking those like core principles seriously, despite the change of hands with, uh, 
with the operation side of things. Yeah, and I don't um, think any of the employee like people first culture has changed within the brewery. I think, you know, it's all still that and I think it's just a uh, we don't want to manage the the business aspect anymore maybe and just let's you know, sell our equity to a company that's really business focused. I'm not sure what drove the changes, but I know it was not a bad thing from the employee standpoint. Like they all yeah. actually earned quite a bit from that and with their bit of equity they, they stood right. to make some money from the from the transition. So Yeah, I think it's important that, you know, it was their decision to mm-hmm. to do that. That was a, a group decision on Yeah, it on wasn't their the part. CEO like, Oh, we're gonna yeah. sell it and you're all gone. See you later. Everybody remained and everything's yeah. still there. It's just focusing on growing that and then becoming a uh, part of a larger company to improve efficiencies and have some economy of scale. Yeah. And I think it's uh, also important that despite the acquisition by Lion Little World Beverage, uh, aka Kieran's subsidiary, uh, New Belgium still, I think, has a lot of control in their um, their product line, their um, business decisions because Steve Fesheimer, he actually serves as the, uh, the lead Lions U S operations manager. And so I think in that acquisition, he's still able to, um, play a, a pretty large part in advocating for the new Belgium brand. Um, and also in that time, there's also been a lot of, uh, in the last year or so have been some kind of shifting and some merging and consolidation with uh, Bell's Brewing in Michigan, which was really yeah. uh, interesting because they're, they're both now owned by the the Lion Little World's Beverage Company. So they're able to kind of pool their resources, do some like distribution consolidation to kind of maximize uh, each individual brand's growth, but also while under like the umbrella of uh, that Kieran subsidiary Lion mm-hmm. Yeah, and that the the Bell's acquisition was something I had not been paying attention to and didn't even really know about until we started researching this episode. Uh, and if you go to New Belgium's website, uh, it's newbelgium.com slash company slash Bell's, it has like a whole page talking about the Bell's acquisition. Uh, and there's a word from Larry Bell on there. So he had apparently gone through some serious health issues and you know felt like it was the right time to transition the brewery to another brewing company that had you know similar values and those good core values that they were looking for Mm -hmm. uh and then you know there's also a word from you know steve on there just saying we're going to improve the well-being of the people who power our business and there's nothing going to change basically between the breweries and we're going to keep everybody and uh we're all just going to make the same thing we just can't wait to have them all together so Mm -hmm. i mean bells is no slouch of a brewery on its own with two hearted being one of the most popular beers for oh yeah a very long time but just an interesting transition and you know there's a lot of faq stuff on there uh basically they you know they're joining and they should actually all be transitioning to the to the hr department of new belgium at this point uh as 2023 was their target date for that so oh yeah there's so much that goes behind the scenes i think that's a that's a good indication that it was so seamless that, you know, like we didn't have any idea. No, because um, I think in some cases, changes can lead to a lot of drastic. Um, yeah, we're buying you and we're firing all your employees, yeah. and then <laughs> it would have been like more new, like newsworthy, I guess. So we're gonna brew uh, your recipes at uh, our facility, and that's it. See you later. Bye. So, 
Yeah. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think it'd be remiss for us not to mention the impact, and we've kind of touched on some of the notes, but the impact that New Belgium's had in the craft beer industry since they started over 30 years ago. Um, I mean, notably, of course, with the Belgian styles of beers that have been popularized in the U.S. that really weren't that popular. Like we said, they didn't even have a an evaluation criteria or category at like major beer festivals. So mm-hmm. they were a big component in that. Um, you know, their their Belgian styles initially, like right out of the gate, took off, uh, became popular. I think they kind of expanded people's palates and and what beer could taste like the same way that they did for Jeff when he went to Belgium. Yeah. Um, so just like having that cultural shift, I think in the beer in the craft beer industry was huge. Um, adding in different styles, kind of continuing to expand, you know, paying for expensive, large Oak fooders, you know, buying, I think they're up to like a few dozen now in their multiple production facilities. Um, these are not cheap, pieces of equipment but they they're huge (laughs) yeah and and they take up a lot of space and it's like i think it's important to note in a general sense that they're willing to not like cut corners also to to make a a quick buck they they've actually shelled out a lot of money in multiple facets just to like continue to maintain their core values while um one of those being you know promoting the beer that they make and making good beer um and a large share of that is belgian style so Mm -hmm. Um, without their push, I think, you know, that, that we wouldn't see the same like prevalence of Belgian styles. Now, um, they weren't certainly the only brewery doing that, but, uh, with their namesake alone, I think that was, uh, you know, a big push for bringing Belgian style beers stateside. Um, and now people like us, maybe not Elsie, but (laughs) we enjoy them. So, yeah, yeah, definitely one of the, the more influential breweries in the uh, Belgian style beer scene in the U S for sure. Uh, but on top of that and in introducing styles in the, into the U.S., they also have a huge impact on, you know, sustainability and green practices. You know, we said that the uh, that second core tenant that Kim outlined in that interview was being environmental stewards. And I think they've definitely shown that with their beer production facilities and then, you know, touting Fat Tire as the first carbon neutral beer that they've got uh, now and really the first carbon neutral beer out there you know they've had a lot of uh renewable energy efforts and worked with the city of fort collins to have wind type wind turbines uh providing power for their brewery so they were the first 100 percent wind powered brewery uh it's very interesting to see you know taking advantage of that early technology and getting in there i guess not early technology in 1999 but still like not hugely popular and, and definitely not a push for a lot of industrial uh commercial enterprises yeah maybe it's just me but i don't think i even really considered like wind turbine energy in the late 90s i was also only eight years old so <laughs> and when in 99 when this was a big deal yeah. for new belgium to do that um like now i see so many wind turbines especially in the midwest mm-hmm. uh these big open fields there's plenty of wind rolling through there um, so like, yeah, they definitely were an early like adopter of the availability of that as a resource. Yeah. And now they've invested heavily in solar technology as well. Massive, like you can see pictures online of massive, like solar panel arrays on their building just to, uh, further 
substantiate that and further go toward that renewable uh, energy effort. They've also won some awards for their water processes and like being Mm. very sustainable with their water since breweries use a ton of water. uh, I think it's taken for granted sometimes. Uh, And then in 2012, they became a certified B Corporation, which businesses uh, have to meet some pretty uh, stringent standards to get that. So they have to meet social and environmental standards. So it's a private certification comes with annual costs to maintain and it must be renewed every three years, uh, but provides transparency to consumers that uh, New Belgium is really sticking to their guns, being environmental stewards, uh, and they uh, are trying to do right by their employees and really goes along with that other core principle of being people forward and, and prioritizing their employees. Yeah, and I think there's like less than 6,000 businesses that carry that class or the certified B corporation certificate. So, yeah, I mean, they're in a pretty small, uh, grouping there, which is really impressive. I think a lot of breweries, um, have strived to, to like accomplish that, but to maintain it, I think for as long as they have is pretty remarkable. Yeah. And then also they have the, the pledge to, have the uh, Fort Collins brewery to be a hundred percent powered by renewable energy in 2030. Pretty crazy. Uh, pretty bold claims and not bold claims, but bold aspirational goals. I think so. Yeah. And it also really like signifies their dedication to their community too. I think by, um, you know, really trying to improve Fort Collins, that community as a whole. Mm Mm-hmm. We couldn't talk about New Belgium, though, without talking about the employees and... The people. The people, which people, since people are so driven with their company. You know, we talked a little bit about the transition to 100% employee-owned before the employees decided to sell to uh, Lion Little Beverages, Kieran Subsidiary. Uh, But there's also a lot of other perks that the employees are always happy to tell you, especially when they go visit. (laughs) They're... After their first year of employment, they get a uh, custom New Belgium bicycle, which you can't just buy. They don't mm-hmm. sell these bicycles. You have to be an employee or win it through some raffle or some sort of like <laughs> thing. I think they had some like special thing where you could win one uh, um, yeah. last time we were there. But yeah, you can't buy these bikes. They're bikes that are given to the employees. Uh, and then also they do a variety of other things uh, to help their employees out. So at year five, they give the employees a trip to Belgium that that mimics the trip in 1988 that Jeff took to inspire him to make New Belgium. They also get paid sabbaticals at their 10 and 20 year mark, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. I'd like a paid sabbatical. That'd be fantastic. Me too. Yeah. And it's like four weeks, which is remarkable. I mean, to be given a, paid like four week vacation would be just mind-blowing just to me it's like here you go have a month off yeah apparently some of the employees i read were like they've been hesitant to do that because at that point like you're just so invested in your work that they almost have to be like forced or encouraged to like take an opportunity or take the advantage of the opportunity <laughs> um kim jordan was talking about that she's like if you don't accept the sabbatical or you kind of say like oh i don't really need it or i don't want to take it um, they make the employees like 
do a presentation in front of the board to like justify why you shouldn't have your sabbatical, <laughs> which I think then deters them from like yeah. ignoring it. They're like, like, okay, fine. I'll okay, just go. fine. I'll take a month off if yeah. you pay me for it. Wow. I'm sorry. Cause I really do want to like encourage people to do that. Um, that's really funny. All like really good efforts to like have retention of employees. Um, I'd like to see some data on like the average, uh, tenure and yeah. recidivism rates and all sorts of things. Yeah, it'd be very interesting what the turnover and stuff is. Yeah. If you got a bike after a year, LC, would you stay at your job if they gave you a bike? Um, it depends. Like we live in Greenville where um, people don't know how to drive <laughs> and it's kind of dangerous. And there's not really any bike, bike lanes. Yeah. There's like a couple bike lanes, but you're at risk of being run over very quickly. But Asheville's infrastructure is really good for yeah. biking and commuting. It in really that is. Sense. So if I was living in Asheville Yes. Yeah, hundred percent. Here in Greenville, no, mm, no. Um, you know, another thing I didn't really see a lot of, but they have a lot with healthcare for their employees too. When we took that yeah. initial yeah. tour, they talked about like every employee has access to their. They have like, like stuff healthcare on site, staff, yeah. yeah, on site, and everybody gets good healthcare benefits. Well, the one girl that was given our tour, she had gotten hit by oh on her on bike. bike on her yeah. bike. Yeah. She got hit by a car. Something. A bus. And <laughs> some sort of accident. Yeah. But she was talking about, too, yeah. like how good the healthcare was. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and she, uh, had she been cleared to ride again? I can't remember. I don't know. But she hadn't worked at the company very, very long. Very long. Yeah. And, and they took care of her. I mm-hmm. mean, yeah. it's pretty nice. But, yeah, they also have an on-site wellness center. And then they have a coworker assistance fund that helps employees going through hard times. So, uh, just pretty crazy, you know, and... Yeah. So it seems like a good place that actually cares about the employees. And I'd say if you're going to transfer all your shares to the employees, you probably care about the employees. So. Yeah. And like Kim, Kim has mentioned multiple times uh, under her purview, and, and it continues today, that you know th- they have a lot of transparency in like the open book management so people know where the profits are coming from. Oh, Joe just cracked another beer. <laughs> um, and so I think in doing so, they they have like almost a responsibility to do some of these things, but they don't have to be doing any of it. It's, it's a choice to be putting profits towards uh, on-site medical assistance, towards um, sabbatic paid sabbaticals, uh, you know, the employee op- stock options when those were available. Um, and I think it's just really nice that as fast as they've been growing, as much money, as much profit mm-hmm. has come about, they've reinvested those not just in facilities as we've seen like growth as far as like a production and manufacturing and distribution standpoint but also investing in the employees because i think turnover is probably a huge hit on overhead costs when you have to constantly like oh, bring gosh. people train in and train bring them in yeah exactly. when you have like a reliable base of employees that are happy to work and will come to work every day like eager that goes i i, th- I would have to assume that would go like you know miles and it's worth the investment and so i, I think the investment in people is one of my favorite aspects about New Belgium is that they have such a strong emphasis in that. Yeah. Also, uh, didn't mention, but they got a perfect score on the human rights campaign, uh, corporate equality index. So just scoring all sorts of awards and and whatnot here with, uh, I guess it's not really an award, but, uh, (laughs) more so just scores on uh, an employee, uh, satisfaction and basically the equitable treatment of their employees. But as Nick mentioned, I did crack another beer. Uh, this is of the Voodoo Ranger series. And Nick just cracked his too. 
Uh, Voodoo Ranger Danger Beach IPA. This is one that I've not had. Is this a relatively new one, right? Relatively new. Um, I've not had it yet. It was actually kind of hard to find at first, but then I just took a trip to the grocery store and they had a six pack. <laughs> and then I went to a different grocery store two days later. They also had a six pack. So must be just getting out there distributed. Yeah. Distributed. Like I said, distributed. <laughs> distributed. <laughs> the way that the Voodoo Ranger series works is like, obviously they've got the, the IPA, the flagship one. They've got the Imperial IPA. They've got Juicy Haze. They've got Juice Force, Fruit Force have been, like I said, two of the big like yeah. uh, pushes for like a, kind of a, a regular lineup. And then then you kind of just see what's like new. They had Hop Raider. I think Danger Beach, this one we're having here, which I haven't tried yet, is 1985 pretty 1985 IPA has been a pretty yeah. standard one for a little while now, too. And I liked 1985. Yeah. Um, I not... saw they had Voodoo Vice, which the can is just phenomenal. It's like the little skeleton guy with his cool hat. It's a fedora with like an all-white suit. He's got the, the gold chain and the, like I guess palm tree shirt he just looks like miami vice it's funny though because he's still wearing like the trapper keeper hat underneath the fedora <laughs> the <chair>. yeah <laughs> um, he just always wearing what that. do you think though about danger beach i haven't taken a sip yet it's interesting it gives me a very specific like flavor memory and i'm trying to really pinpoint what it is oh my gosh it's yeah. like it has almost like a candy aftertaste it's like yeah. some kind of fruit candy it's very specific, and I cannot think of what it is because it just took that sip, and I was like, "Wow, I've tasted this before." It's borderline fruity pebbles, but it's not. Yeah, I don't. I think that would be cheap to say that it was that, but it has a either some kind of like fruit gum or I don't. Yeah, it just like I can't. I know. Oh yeah, gosh. it just like I drink it, and I'm like, oh, this tastes like nostalgia, kind of, but. Doesn't it's not like a, I don't know it's very different. If you ever had like Voodoo Imperial or you know just Voodoo IPA, it's completely different. Yeah, uh, I mean they tout that it has a lot of juicy tropical flavor, uh, and that's obviously the case. But um, it's a rotator. It's kind of in this like limbo of whether or not it's going to be part of the regular lineup of Voodoo Ranger or if it's just going to kind of yeah, fall off just, into the abyss. Mm-hmm. But also incredibly dangerous, 7.1% ABV. Would not have uh, thought that. Oh. Doesn't drink like that, for sure. But yeah, definitely interesting. Uh, I gotta try the uh, Fruit Force, too. Low, uh, 28 IBUs is all. Yeah, it'd be really interesting to see the Voodoo Ranger like, portfolio in a few years' time when they've have they moved into the Constellation Brands facility and they've made it kind of in their image what they're planning to do with Fuji Ranger? But um, I mean, I don't, I don't see that being like a total separation from New Belgium. Obviously, they'll want to keep that namesake, but they have, I think, now a lot of opportunity to expand and to do different things with it, other than just you know they could open like a Voodoo Ranger tap room somewhere. I mean. Bit pretty much, and yeah. I'm curious if that constellation will have any sort of tap room because I think when the um, Ballast Point had that, there was some aspect of a tap room there. But uh, so I'm curious to see how that will that'll go. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, we've talked 
a lot about New Belgium. Uh, a lot about the history, where they transferred from, where they, how they've grown up, the beers they've had, the changes in their portfolio. But I'm curious if you have any thoughts or, or you know, any experiences of New Belgium that you want to share with us, and uh, you know, let us know. I know I feel like we've been talking it up, but the company has a lot of good core values, and they just make some good beers, and they make some trendy beers, which is I get not always a bad thing if you're trying to think of it from a business aspect. But we just uh, enjoy getting out there, visiting it, hearing a little bit about the story, and for a brewery that's been around for you know, 32 years now, there's uh, a lot to talk about and definitely an interesting subject. Yeah. And I think on, on top of everything we've mentioned, I mean, New Belgium being one of the first like woman owned craft breweries in the U.S. was probably really remarkable in the early 90s. Oh, yeah. Especially because like, yeah, Jeff was brewing. They were married at the time. You know, Jeff was brewing. Kim was basically the sales manager taking care of all the business uh going out getting the product promoted running the the business and operations so uh she kind of ran the show and then when he departed she actually did run the show for quite a long time and uh just great to see that that transition yeah where my old ladies at do you say where your old ladies at <laughs> no, where all my ladies at <laughs> where all my ladies i think you said where my old ladies at and i was like <laughs> old ladies no what's your take lauren i feel like you've been a little quiet this episode it's just i've uh, been a lot of learning absorbing and learning absorbing yeah well i mean you could tell from because we've done a couple beer tours there in new belgium and you can tell by the overall demeanor of the staff that they enjoy what they do they are really excited to tell you about their company and um what the company has to offer to them and I mean, if you walk in places, most places, um, I have not seen that response from employees <laughs> where they're like super excited to tell you about their company and um, are genuinely um, satisfied working there. So, yeah, I know the first time that we went to New Belgium and did like the full tour, I was like, I really want a job. Yeah. And I said, New no, Belgium. I was, it sounded great. Uh <laughs> And, you know, it really sounded like a lot of people left the jobs they were at to go to New Belgium and to get a job there, no matter what they did. It was like a lot of people who left like good careers to try to get there and just get a job with them. If we lived a little closer to Asheville, I'd consider it, but it'd be one heck of a commute. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, can you imagine like waking up at like 2 a.m. to go to work and then getting home at like... 11 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. here I go to work again. Just got my uh, round trip, nine hour commute. <laughs> not quite, not quite sure the marriage would last there, but just get a a plane, yeah. know, fly to work. Oh, seems seems very eco friendly. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It goes against the company standards. Yep. <laughs> I'll, get a hang glider. I'll get a hang glider. <laughs> and our electric vehicle would to... not get you there in yeah. one charge. No. And you guys are pretty like eco-friendly with your kia ev6 ev6 yeah. you haven't seen us burning a bunch of tires lately have you <laughs> <laughs> you know every every saturday we burn a hundred tires just to <laughs> oh gosh no not really uh but yeah any other thoughts on new belgium guys no 
Uh, or is it time for Elsie's pick of the week? Yeah, seems to be that time. <laughs> I just Lawrence checked my watch. <laughs> looked at our recording time, and it seems like seems to be that time. It seems to be that time. Yeah, we. I mean, I I thought this could be either like a half hour kind of history, or it's going to be like an hour plus. Yeah, yeah. Um, the latter. Yeah, the latter. <laughs> well, beautiful. Hopefully, uh, I mean, it's a long episode to listen to, mm-hmm. but hopefully, people uh, find it enjoyable. Yeah, I mean, do yourself a favor. Go on a brewery tour at Asheville. Uh, or the Fort Collins location. I, I've not been to Fort Collins, but I can only imagine the tour is just as great. It's really informational, educational, fun. Uh, the one in Asheville, they have a slide. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, yeah, I'm sure Fort yeah. Collins has one. But uh, So you'll just learn a lot about the company. They talk heavily about the the foundation, the the history. You get to kind of do it also while tasting beer along the way, which I thought was yeah. really cool. It's like, hey, they started in 1991 and they made these beers. Try this one. This is what they made. And it's like, okay, so now here we are. Fast forward to this year. Uh, they brought in the Foders. And so here's La Folie, one of the sour age beers. And so you get like a, a history lesson. It's fun. It's like engaging. Honestly, one of the best like brewery tours you can do, I think. So um, if you'd rather not listen to us talk for an hour, you can do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But, uh, give you a shorter synopsis of, uh, what we've been saying. So, but I guess we're time for Elsie's pick of the week. Elsie's pick of the week. <laughs> we need to get like a sound bite for this. We've been, we've been just ripping off the for positions. 54 episodes. Maybe like chat G PT can do a sound bite. Oh yeah. Know. Also can they make audio files as a jump off of our AI episode. If you didn't check that one out last episode, episode 53, we did uh, AI powered beer, but we also did an AI generated uh, outline, and we used an AI generated podcast outline for this episode as well. We uh, told Google Bard, which is like Chat GPT's, you know, rival from the Google realm. Uh, we said generate a podcast outline on the history of New Belgium, and we just went with it. So if you thought it worked, let us know, and and our AI overlords, thank you. So Elsie, crack that beer. I still cannot place what that like tropical fruit no. finishes on the Danger Beach IPA. I just want to say like Necco wafers, but totally not Necco. <laughs> it's just like hmm. some kind of candy like that. Yeah, it'll come to me later. I'll be like lying in bed trying to fall asleep, and it'll be like, boom, there it is. Whoops! I just smacked the microphone. I just smacked my microphone. <laughs> So, yeah, grabbing a glass blind, or not blind, but eyes closed is really difficult. Wow, this beer is fruitier than the Danger Beach. This smells like sweet nectar upon the nose. Oh, my. Okay. I actually have a guess already. Yeah. Yep. I'm gonna reserve my just on the sniff. I I've taken a, I've taken a sip already actually. Sip. Okay, I've I haven't sipped because I took a, I took a, a big whiff with my nose, but my nose is so big that <laughs> as opposed to uh, you know what's other usually take a whiff with you know what I'm saying yeah well my nose is really big and uh, I got a foamy <laughs> nostril foam of uh, smell there so oh wow I went straight for the the sip. <laughs> 
Is this a beer? <laughs> it is a beer. It is. It is. It is. I'm very mm. curious. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm like 99% sure I know what this is. All right, go Ooh, for I'm it. I'm so excited. I'm gonna go ahead and let Joe flesh out his thoughts. I'm. I'm yeah, me too. Eyes then. open. I'm looking at everything. So. Oh yeah, let me take a look at it. Dang, this is like. You you would taste and smell this beer, and you would think, okay, I'm getting like berry i'm getting some like not not like tart berry it's just kind of like a no. juicy berry you're getting a little bit of like tropical fruit in there you're like oh this is probably on the srm kind of view of like a red to yeah maybe like orangish beer but it's, it's not clear a slightly pale straw colored yeah wow <laughs> you know what's bad is it reminds me of blue for loco <laughs> But better, not but bad. not disgusting. <laughs> like, much better than that. Yeah, I'm. I'm fairly confident. Like I, I could probably bet. Not my firstborn this, child, but my secondborn child. I, I would bet them on this. It's oh, really? like that blue. Yeah. Oh, I can blue, say that because I'm a middle child. So. Blueberry okay. beer from whoever. Not blueberry. I don't even know what it is. It's just such a strong, sweet, overwhelming. What flavor. style do you think it is? <laughs> I don't even know. I would guess with the flavor it'd be like a wheat beer or something or the way it looks, but it I'm just so overwhelmed by artificial flavor. Nick, if you had not had this beer previously, do you think you would know what it is? Nope. Okay. I just don't even like it. I just can't taste anything other than like sweet. It's like, uh, do, do you ever have did those you little, try this uh, no, do you ever try have it. those little cup? Like, uh, they're called huggies. They're like yes. little barrel juices. Yeah. It tastes like you mix like the red and the like purple or mm-hmm. bl- no, the blue, the blue one. I mm-hmm. think was like about this. <laughs> Dude, oh. Would you know what type of beer it is? I do. <laughs> oh, no, if you, if you drink it, <laughs> I, I will again. You know. <laughs> I will know exactly what it is next time. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, I... I can say I'm not a fan. Okay. I mean, I could drink a little bit of it, but... This actually is the first time that I think I can say with the utmost confidence, I know exactly right. what beer it is, just despite the style. Like, I know I can pinpoint the beer itself. Do it. Joe, you just tried Fruit Force IPA from New Belgium. It's Fruit Force? Yep. This is Fruit Force. <laughs> oh, my gosh. How was this the most... Oh, okay, never mind. It was innovational, was it not? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, innovative. This isn't. Wait, is innovational a word? Innovational. A... Innovative. I don't know. Innovative is the innovative. word I went for, but. Uh, the innovational invitational. <laughs> We're going to just. Yeah, I wanted to. That's fruit force? Yeah, I wanted to stick with the New Belgium theme for my pick of the week. That was a very um, good it was brilliant. pick, though. That was very brilliant. Yeah. Wow, this is a very memorable beer. Uh, I did again, notice that I you had, know it's you had gotten it in February. I wouldn't notice it was nine and a half percent. Yeah, it yeah. is. It is steep. But you don't taste it because you're just too busy punching the face by <laughs> gross fruit. Yeah. Literally flavors. punched. I told you, it, like to me, when I took a sip of this, I think I had it at Jack Brown's as like as a, as a um, taster. Actually, uh, Jarvis Street Bottle Shop. Oh, oh, mm-hmm. for trivia, yes. Mm-hmm. So sorry, yes. <laughs> Jarvis Street Bottle Shop <laughs> trivia. I grabbed a can of this because I was like, oh, it's a twelve ounce can. You know. Um, and I talked to Lars about it at length. I think we had similar tasting notes. To me, it was just like Hawaiian punch, mm-hmm. but it was 
and I was wrong. It was the 900%. red Four loco that this tasted like. The uh, fruit punch. I couldn't get fruit punch. No, but that's like, okay, this very, is 9.5%, like, but Four loco is 14%. Like, it's just that malty, fruit punchy flavor. And, and I'm, I'm not, not a huge fan. the fruit punch. I do not For this to it. be the innovation of the year and the the number one, like, most anticipated, I feel like ABV had to play a role in that. New Belgium, I, I love your stuff, but this one is not, I'm not a huge fan. I do wonder, though, if this really appealed to, uh, like you said, like, like I could see college kids buying this, oddly enough, because it's a little pricier, it's a craft beer, but, but it's it, strong. It's 9.5%, it tastes like you're drinking some kind of juice or punch, and you can just, like, crack a can of it. I mean, it's not hard to drink, it just... It's not what I'm looking for. It doesn't for. taste like beer. Yeah. It also it, doesn't taste anything like an IPA. That no, was always surprising like a, to me. A, a malt beverage juice. Like, really, it's kind of what it tastes like. Yeah. Dang, I, well, I've had uh, Fruit Force now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I uh, I would say I don't hate it. I, Besides the fact that LC brought it out for the LC pick, I would not have probably purchased it again. Um. I had it once and I was like, okay, this is fine. Uh, I don't know. It's just, it's a really interesting thing for them to do. It was really innovative. And I think that was the most shocking part about it is that New Belgium seems to be very like careful and calculated about their business decisions, especially with their beer portfolio. Mm -hmm. Uh, But this one, they went for it. And I think if we look up the data for like sales, which obviously you looked into already, it was a huge hit, and it was awarded the most innovative beer of 2022. Um, I don't know. I just who would have thought that like a fruit punch IPA, which tastes more like fruit punch than anything, would just like have crushed the market like it did. Also, did you know there's VoodooRanger.com? I didn't even know that. Dot com. It has its own website. They're that- already starting that like branding. Well, um, it has its own website, and nowhere it mentions New Belgium at all. Interesting. Yeah, they've wholly invested in... Yeah. Uh, for hops, so actually, they go right through and tell you what they got. 9.5% ABV, uh, 33 IBUs, London Ale, number 3, yeast. For hops, they use Pato, which I've not heard before. Amarillo, Centennial, Galaxy, Sabro, Lotus, and Strata. Uh, for malt, they use pale malt, malted oats, and white wheat. So it does have wheat in it. Interesting uh, for an IPA. But uh, Great wow. pick, Elsie. For some reason, uh, the Voodoo Ranger site thinks I'm in Kansas. So did the New Belgium site. I don't know. Must be the... Do you have a, filter I have or something. Do you have a VPN? <laughs> I have my list in Kansas. Which I think we do have a couple listeners in Kansas. So. Yeah. If you're listening in Kansas, what up? KC. I've oh, got family Missouri. in Kansas. I don't know if they're listening, though, because... Wichita. We got some Wichitans. Well, my family's in Topeka. I've got a... Uh, Let's zoom in and see. My my dad's Apparently, sister. Apparently, they live in the middle cousins. of... Cheney Reservoir is what the, the podcast like show. So if you live in the middle of a body of water in Kansas, thank you. <laughs> you live in a van. 
in the river. In the river. (laughs) Oh, man. Elsie, what a good pick of the week that was. You're welcome. You're welcome. Stumped me wholly. Yeah. I mean, if if I hadn't had it before, I would have been totally, like, blown away. Yeah, exactly. Like... (laughs) I would. I have like no. I had no sense of style, anything like that, until no. You, I first tasted it, and I was like, "Well, oh. it's interesting they use wheat in the in the malt bill for this IPA, but I guess they're just trying to balance out the flavor and give it that fruit punchy kind of a thing. And I don't know how they attain that flavor if they don't use any like adjuncts or anything. If that's all hop derived, that's wild." And that's pretty good brewing technique. Like, it is, yeah. Even if I'm not a huge fan of it, like it's still impressive to be like, oh yeah, we just use hops and we made it taste like Red Four Loco. <laughs> <laughs> just, just kidding. Well, that concludes our uh, full-on New Belgium episode. I feel like we're sponsored by New Belgium. I New wish. Belgium, please sponsor us. Please, we'll take it. Or send us beer. We like, be, we'll be well, Voodoo Rangers. I'll, yeah. I'll love you. <laughs> I'll, I'll be a Voodoo Ranger. I'll be, I'll be a Ranger. Ranger Danger. Uh, but anyway, uh, check us out. Secondary Fermentation Podcast. Oh, I didn't do what we learned. Gosh. There's too much. I learned a lot. Well, I think. Yeah. We hope you guys learned something. Yes. yes. That's Let all, us that's know what I you learned. Say. I learned that uh, Fruit Force. Wow. That's a beer. Uh, and then. It yeah. is a beer. <laughs> I learned that it was a beer, in fact, actually. Uh, but yeah, so uh, Secondary Fermentation Podcast, hit us up on our socials. We are on uh, Facebook, East Carolina Beer and Brewing, Twitter at East Beer, Instagram at East Carolina Beer, website East Carolina Beer and Brewing.com. And always, you know, leave us a nice review, leave us a comment, love us, we'll take it. We always enjoy the uh, interaction. Send us a DM. If you want to hit us up on uh, Gmail, we are East Carolina Beer at gmail.com. And uh, we will catch you in episode number 55. Cheers. 55. Peace. Bye.